It's time to get up and get going, South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. Good morning. Happy Monday to you. Welcome into another week here on the program. Final day of July. We've almost made it through. We've almost made it through the heat of the summer. We got another uh, month to go. Technically, well, like a month and a half, a little bit over. But, you know, you just got to get through August. And then September comes and it starts to feel like fall. It's already starting to feel like fall for me because I'm already out doing ghost stuff which is what I was out doing Saturday night. What a night we had at the Emory Estate in Weymouth. If you have never been to King Oak Hill Park in Weymouth, which you probably haven't been, it's a, uh, it's a park that was donated to the town by the Emory family. They, it was part of their big estate at the end of Emory Lane. And when the last members of the Emory family were still alive and living in the home there, they donated the grounds of the home to the town as a park. And then when the last member of the Emory family passed away that was living in the house, they donated a house to the town. And the town had a number of meetings over the years to decide what to do with it. It is a replica of George Washington's Mount Vernon, at least on the outside. And so it has historical significance for the town it has historical significance for the followers of the Reverend Billy Graham because the Emerys were high up in Billy Graham's ministry here in Massachusetts, and he stayed at the home many times. And he actually had, they have a room there that they call now the Billy Graham Room where I guess they have some of his memorabilia. But it was... It was that room where we had some of the most intense stuff going on Saturday night. Now, I think it was helped out by the fact that we had a nice thunderstorm going on, kind of charging up all the energy. But we had some some weird things that went on through the course of the night. Certainly with the different devices and technology we use, we had some hits on that. Doesn't mean that we are definitely talking to a ghost, but you get some anomalous stuff. And in the Billy Graham room, one of the devices that we used was practically giving us a sermon and directly answering questions related to religion. But it never gave us anything really religious in any of the other rooms that we used it, just in the Billy Graham room, which I found to be fascinating. Even if you thought that this device was somehow, you know, pre-programmed, like there's there's this, there's this app called, uh, what's it called? The Ghost Finder or something. I forget the name of it. But... The way that it works is you're supposed to open it up and it tells you if there's a ghost around. And it has a, a dictionary that will talk to you. Like, it'll say words. That supposedly is a ghost using the words. But it's a friend of mine kind of went into the back end of this app, broke down all the coding, and said, you know what it does is it uses GPS to figure out where you are, and it has all of the major paranormal hotspots plugged into the GPS. So when you go to the Lizzie Borden house with it, the device knows via GPS that you're in the Lizzie Borden house, and so, therefore, it's going to give you acts, murder, 
You know, all those kind of things. Guilty. But this app doesn't have that, first of all. Secondly, this place isn't really on the map. Nobody really knows about this place yet. And so it's it wouldn't be rigged up for that. So it would just, to me, it seemed very interesting that we were getting all of that religious stuff in the Billy Graham room. And then after everyone left, and this there was other things going on through the course of the night, people getting touched, what have you. But at the end of the night, everybody went home that was there for the event. And it was just myself and the two people who run the events at the, at the Emory Estate, Christy and Rick. And I've known Christy for a long time. We've investigated quite a bit together, and she's not somebody to pull my leg with anything. She's not somebody to rig anything. And as we're sitting in, I, I guess, the parlor, I don't know what the, I forget what they call the room. But as we're sitting in that room, Rick is packing stuff up in his car outside. And Christy and I are sitting in that room talking. And she's telling me about some things that have been going on there. When all of a sudden, one of the shades in that room just rolls up on its own. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. And then Rick came in. And we're talking, and then we start to hear voices. And we followed the voices throughout the course of the house, you know, through the second floor to the third floor. We're hearing all of these voices, these conversations, but we can't quite make out the words. We're hearing footsteps, which is a common thing around the house there. Now, there's nobody else in this three-story giant building except for me, Rick, and Christy, and we're all standing right next to each other. But we're hearing these footsteps walking around. And so we're trying to track it down, see if we can find where it's coming from. We can't seem to find it. The flag on the flagpole outside is whipping around in the wind, so we figure out what that sound is compared to what we're hearing. So we can isolate whether or not we're hearing footsteps or whether or not it's the flag, and we realize that it's definitely two different things. At one point, Rick walked into, uh, there's a porch on the second floor, which is a really cool feature. They have a, a porch that opens up onto a roof of a first floor room that you can kind of sit out on. Although the, the roof needs work, so I wouldn't sit out on it now. But the door to that porch was open. And Rick is standing kind of in the hallway of the second floor, and a voice tells him, shut the door. So he's like looking around. He goes, they must mean the porch door. So he goes and he closes that. And I'm standing right next to him as he does, as he does that. And I hear a woman's voice say, thank you. So just very, very strange experiences. And one of the coolest nights I've had in a long time. And that's why I do this stuff. You know, it's not for anything. You know, I'm not trying to prove anything anymore. I thought that I would be the person that could prove it. You know, like if I can just get the right, you know, that, that holy grail of evidence, I can prove to the world that goes to real. Yeah, I thought that for the first couple of years of my paranormal research career. But now it's just more about having those experiences and trying to figure out what they might be. And coming home and saying, I have no idea what it was, but it was really cool. And so that's, that's the way that I approached it. And with that in mind, it was one of the most fun nights and intense nights that I've had in quite a while. And it's those nights that kind of reinvigorate you as an investigator when you've been doing it for a long time. But I would say this, if you've never been out to that park, go out and give it a visit. It's a nice spot. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to the Emory Estate, which is not usually open... But they will have different events there and certainly different paranormal events as they're trying to fundraise.
to restore the building. Um, they are also getting some grant money to be able to restore the building. And then once they have it up and running and safer for people to walk through, then they'll have it open more often for you to be able to take tours. But if you look at what, the, what has happened with the Oliver House, the Oliver Estate in Middleborough, that's the same pattern, that's the same uh, blueprint they're following to r- fix up and restore the Emory Estate because Christie Parish is the person who brought all that money in for the Oliver Estate to refurbish that and made all that happen. And now she's the person that's doing the same thing at the Emory Estate and she has her eye on doing that for some other historic properties as well. So this is how the paranormal is used to not only restore and rehab, but to keep these historic places in the public mindset. And that's why I do a lot of these paranormal events that I do. It's just as much about keeping those places alive as it is, you know, keeping the ghost stories alive. Anyway, so 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in. Uh, We do have the story. If you heard Adam mention it during the the news, we do have the story at WBSM.com and on the WBSM app about the new addition to the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament this year, which I think is pretty cool. There's going to be a military flyover as part of the parade. So there's going to be two helicopters, a Tomahawk and a Blackhawk that will be flying over the parade route and the feast grounds on Sunday afternoon. And this is a, it's a pretty big deal to get a flyover. Now, I was looking into the process a little bit. You can request them, but it's not easy to get them approved. And understandably so, because it's a lot of taxpayer dollars to fuel up these craft and to have them fly over different events. From my understanding, you know, when they fly over sporting events and all that stuff, the, the sporting event pays for that. That's what I was told a while ago. You know, if, the, if the Crafts requested a flyover for the first game of the Patriots season, they, they paid the bill for that to happen. I don't know if that's true, but that's just something that somebody told me. I never really dug too much deeper into it. I just happened to be writing an article about the first game of the season. And that was one of the tidbits that came up in a conversation I had with somebody. But if you look at the importance of the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament, one of the biggest events in Massachusetts, not just in New Bedford, but in Massachusetts all, all year long, it's certainly worthy of having a flyover. So I can't wait for Sunday afternoon to be on Facebook and to see all the comments that say, why are there helicopters flying low over the city? (laughs) It's, It's literally a flyover with helicopters. We'll try to do our best to keep reminding you that it's going to happen. Uh, so that you know, so that you don't get weirded out by it and you don't think something else is going on. But that's, that's what it is. It's not, uh, aliens haven't landed. The military's not taking over. They're not looking for a suspect. It's just a nice thing 
that shows the significance and the importance of the 107th Feast of the Blessed Sacrament, which, by the way, Fun 107 is going to be broadcasting from because it is the 107th Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. They're Fun 107. It just makes sense. So they'll have great stuff going on all week over there, but definitely during the feast as well. And here on WBSM, of course, we'll be talking quite a bit about it as well. And, of course, the other thing that we can get into is Arthur Hirsch's report in New Bedford Light regarding the petition to get term limits for the city councilors. This is, I, I have to use Catherine Adamowitz's phrase, disgusting. That here they are all this time into this and so close to the finish line, as we've talked about with Catherine when she calls in, so close to the finish line of having the required number of signatures just to get this question on the ballot. They're not looking for immediate gratification here. They're looking to just put this out to the voters and see what the voters think. And to find out now that they're going about things wrong, that when they first started this process in May, to find out now, just a couple of weeks before the deadline, that they're go- this won't work? Why did the city solicitor wait so long to let them know that they're going about this the wrong way? And why is it the wrong way? We don't have enough of an explanation about that. Why is it the wrong way? Why did it work this way to get the term of the mayor extended but it doesn't work this way to get the terms of the city councilors limited. And I, I, listen, I don't question Eric Jakes. You know, I don't question his, his knowledge. I don't question his motives. But if I was Catherine and Paul, I wouldn't just settle for that answer. I'd be saying, are you sure? And I'd be looking into that a little bit further. I'd be contacting the Secretary of State's office and finding out exactly what your options are. Because this is just... This is just dumb. It's dumb that it got to this point before they found out that their efforts were all for naught. So I'm sure Catherine is going to call in at some point this morning. I hope she will. Uh, I'm sure they've put a pause on collecting signatures, but I hope she will call in. And you know what? I I wouldn't. I, I, it's easy for me to say I'm not the one sitting out there for six hours a day or three hours a day or however long they're doing it for in the, in the heat and the humidity. But I wouldn't stop collecting signatures. I wouldn't stop till I had 10,000 signatures. Just to force somebody's hand here. But if she calls in, we'll certainly try to get more of the story. Uh, I, I can probably reach out to, to Manny DeBrito, although I don't know if he'll get the email before, you know, I'm off the air. I doubt he will go on with Chris and Marcus. But I can reach out to see if he can kind of explain a little bit more of his side, because in Arthur Hirsch's story, there's a discrepancy between what Catherine says Manny told her and what Manny says he told Catherine. And I'll invite Eric Jakes to come on and explain too. 
certainly I'm sure the mayor will be able to offer some explanation on Wednesday. But this is this is a head scratcher for sure. 508-996-0500. Got to take a break. Be back in a few moments. We'll be able to take some of your calls coming up after the news. Uh, But I also want to tell you a little bit about Bay Coast Bank. It is your neighborhood bank helping our community for more than 170 years. When you bank with Bay Coast, you can rest easy knowing that 100% of your deposits are fully insured by combined coverage provided by the FDIC and DIF. So isn't it good to know that your deposits are protected Bay Coast Bank offers a high level of personalized service that you won't get just anywhere. It's this exceptional service that sets Bay Coast apart. So open up an account today and experience the Bay Coast difference. Visit one of their 25 convenient branch locations or apply online at baycoast.bank. Trust the bank that has served Southern New England for generations. Trust Bay Coast Bank. Learn how Bay Coast Bank can help you by visiting in person or online at baycoast.bank. It's a member FDIC, member DIF. So, again, you know, money is an important thing in your life, but you don't want it to be the most important thing in your life, right? You want to be able to put it away and not have to worry about it and do your banking and not have to be concerned about it. There's nothing worse than thinking to yourself when you hear about all of these banking issues, am I next? And you don't have to worry about that with Bay Coast Bank. All right, we're going to be going into the news in just a moment. On the other side of that, we can take your phone calls at 508-996-0500. We can also take your app chat messages via the WBSM app. You can send us text messages that way. You can also send us open line voicemails. If you just open up the app, hit the open line button, it'll allow you to record audio. You can tell us what's on your mind, and then I can preview it during the news or during a commercial. And then we can play it back on the air. And as I always say, just do me a favor. If you type in an app chat text, if you record an open line voicemail, try to make sure that it's ready for air. Uh, If you send me an open line voicemail that I need to bleep out, I don't have time to do that. So you're just not going to hear it on the air. So just keep it broadcast friendly and we'll be able to broadcast it for you. All right. Now it is time to go into the newsroom with Adam Bass. A blistering heat wave is not going away as record-setting temperatures move through the south. Heat indexes, which, which factor in humidity, could soar above triple digits this week across states like Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. In the southwest, Phoenix, Arizona has now topped 110 degrees for 31 straight days. More than 100 million Americans were under heat alerts over the weekend. A longtime friend and business associate of Hunter Biden is expected to testify on Capitol Hill later today. Rory O'Neill reports. 
Appearing before the House Oversight Committee will be Devin Archer. In closed-door testimony, he's expected to share details about foreign business ventures with Hunter Biden. The testimony could help investigators understand what, if any, involvement President Biden had with his son's businesses. The testimony comes as Archer awaits sentencing on unrelated charges of conspiracy to defraud a Native American tribe. I'm Rory O'Neill. Pope Francis wants Russia to revive the Black Sea grain deal. Earlier this month, Moscow stopped allowing Ukraine to export grain, mostly to countries in Africa, from its Black Sea ports despite the war. In his message today, the Pope called on Russia to allow the shipments. Francis said, I appeal to my brothers, the authorities of the Russian Federation, so that the Black Sea initiative may be resumed and grain may be transported safely. Thousands of people across the country are starting the week without jobs due to the abrupt closure of Yellow Freight. Executives at the nearly 100-year-old trucking firm informed managers of the operation shut down over the weekend. The company employed roughly 33,000 people and had just relocated their headquarters to Nashville from the Kansas City area last year. Additionally, Yellow, known as YRC Freight, is on the hook for a $700 million emergency load and pay out by the federal government during the pandemic. A Democratic congressman says the additional charges accusing former President Donald Trump of wanting to destroy evidence demonstrates a consciousness of guilt. Speaking on ABC's This Week, Dan Goldman of New York said the superseding indictment shows that Trump knew his actions and conduct were wrong. The additional charges stem from conversations between the Mar-a-Lago property manager and an employee about the boss wanting the server deleted, as well as recorded conversation during which Trump tells someone he can't show them a certain document because he didn't declassify it. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York spoke out Sunday, calling on new legislation to be passed by the House that would significantly reduce the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. Jonathan O'Halloran reports. The New York senator held a press conference Sunday urging the House to pass the fend-off fentanyl bill, which successfully made its way through the Senate last Thursday. The Senate majority leader says the plan can stop the droves of fentanyl entering the country by Christmas, but the House must act. We are now at a breakthrough moment in the fentanyl crisis. We can stop it. This legislation will stop it. We must get it passed. The House must do its job. Congress will reconvene in September, and Schumer wants the House to include the legislation in its defense bill at that time. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, over 65,000 people died of fentanyl drug overdoses in the U.S. in 2021. Jonathan O'Halloran, NBC News Radio, New York. And the so-called doomsday cult mom is scheduled to be sentenced Monday in Idaho. Earlier this year, Lori Vallow Daybell was found guilty of murdering her two youngest children and conspiring to kill her husband's ex-wife. Prosecutors say she and her husband were obsessed with doomsday-focused religious beliefs. Vallow Daybell is also charged in Arizona for the death of her first husband. She will not face the death penalty in Idaho, but could be facing up to life in prison. In sports, the Boston Red Sox are on a losing streak after the Giants beat them 4-3 last night. The Sox will be facing the Seattle Mariners tonight at 9.40 p.m. And now, here's your ABC6 local weather forecast.
We have cooler temperatures and drier weather that's arrived to the area. Expect it to be a nice day overall. We're going to see partly cloudy skies high near 81. Overnight tonight, we'll get down to 59 degrees. And for tomorrow, partly cloudy with a north wind 5 to 10 miles an hour and a cool, comfortable 80 degrees. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. It is currently 60 degrees right now in New Bedford. I'm Adam Bass, WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's news talk station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts and podcasts with the WBSM app. It's okay if you listen in the shower. Just keep it to yourself and don't make it weird. Back to the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. In 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You are on WBSM. Hello. Hi. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Shawnee. What's on your mind? Oh, this is awful. What's going on with what Catherine did, all that work. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And you know what? She called in a lot of times to the mayor, and he never said anything to her. Yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily expect that he would know either, but I would think that if, you know, according to Arthur Hirsch's report... Um, when Catherine talked about it with Manny in May, Manny DeBrito, the election commissioner, said, I have to check with the city solicitor. So if he checked with the city solicitor in May, why did it take this long for the solicitor to get back to them and tell them, hey, this isn't going to work? Yeah, but as intelligent as um, Catherine is, I think she can handle it. She'll, she'll get to the bottom of this. Well, they do have a lawyer on their side, a lawyer who helped them craft the language of of the question, but the lawyer didn't advise them in the procedure, and nor did they ask the lawyer about the procedure. So he just gave them, you know, advice on the the wording of the question to make sure that it would stand up on a ballot. And so I think that there was a lot of instances here where somebody could have spoke up and said, well, is this the right way to do it? But it seems like they were operating under this being the right way because according to this report, um, they were modeling it after the 2017 mayoral question. And that's what Manny told them to use, but then Manny said to use it as a as a guideline, but not necessarily as the exact format. So it's all confusing as to who said what, but the bottom line is someone didn't step up where they were supposed to here. Uh, do you think it was at the commission? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would have to talk to everybody myself and, and get their sense of it, but it seems to me that this could be... Um, it could have been that 
you know, maybe maybe Manny said he was going to talk to the solicitor and he didn't. Maybe he talked to the solicitor and the solicitor didn't get back to the to the to Catherine and and Paul. Maybe Catherine and Paul should have sought out the solicitor at some point to say, hey, we haven't heard from you. So there's a lot of people here that could take some of the blame pie if uh, if there's blame to go around. So what do you think is going to happen now that all this is done in vain? Yeah, because according to uh, Arthur Hirsch's reporting, there is no easy way to do this, that they would have to do it uh, through either collecting, I think it was 9,000 signatures, or they would have to get the mayor and the city council to approve the change to the city charter, and then it would have to be approved by the state legislature, so a home rule petition, essentially. And so they would have to do it that way, and there's no way in hell that's going to happen because how are you going to get the city councilors right. to vote for something that's going to limit the city councilors? Right. That is, that's ridiculous, really, what you just said. I, I can't believe it. As a citizen, I want to know, and I, I think anybody in any municipality would want to know, whether you live in New Bedford or not, why you don't have the power to get a ballot question on there to change something like this. And why could you change the mayoral term but not change, what not limit the city councilor terms? I signed it. I'm all for it. But anyways, um, I hope um, that all works out. I'll be listening for that. Um, did you say that the taxpayers are going to pay for the... For the um, thing over the feast with a flyover? I'm, I'm not sure who pays for it. I just was saying that I think with sporting events, the sporting events pay pay something or, or give a donation or something that helps kind of defray some of the costs. So I think I think you've already paid for it as a taxpayer. Like it's already in the military budget. So I think this is something that you can request. You know, the same reason why you pay for, uh, you know, the White House and you can request tickets to go on a tour of it. Oh, all right. Okay, I'll be listening, Tim. All right. Hey, that thing sounded really exciting where you went. Oh yeah, the Emory Estate. Yeah, it was a, it was a great. It's a great place anyway, even without the ghosts. Like it's really cool to to hear about the story of this family, this prominent family that uh, was directly tied into Billy Graham and was a very influential family in town. And also, you know, for people who were very religious, they were not. Um, so what I'm looking for. What town is that in again? It's in Weymouth. Well, that isn't that far. No, and actually, when you go to the estate, there's a cupola at the top of the estate, and you can climb up to the cupola and get a beautiful view of the Boston skyline. You can really see the skyline from any any uh, window on the second floor, but if you go up to the third floor and go in the cupola, you get a beautiful, like, 360 view, and then you can see on one side of it, the north side, you can see the Boston skyline. And with the thunderstorm on Saturday night and watching the lightning come down from up there, yeah, it was really cool. Is it on a lot of acres? It is. So they've turned the land. I forget how many acres it is exactly, but they've turned the land into a park. So it's all a big public park around the estate. And there's another building as part of the estate, two other buildings. There's a carriage house across the way uh, that they will also be restoring. And then there's a what they call the playhouse. And it's a it's a house that was for their the kids to play in. But you and I would call that a house. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's the size of the houses that we probably live in. But they're working on trying to eventually get into that as well and have that restored. So once they have, you know, the money and they get everything done with the main building, then maybe they can start focusing on these other buildings. Oh, I hope they get good luck with that. Yeah, I would recommend just going up there and spending a nice afternoon, have a little picnic for yourself. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's a great spot. Okay, Tim. All right. You have, have a good, good day. day. Thank you. And 508-996-0500, if you want to call in and chime in. And again, if you missed it, that was the place where I had my 
paranormal event uh, this past Saturday night, and it's we're trying to get it on the paranormal map. With all of these places, it just takes getting them on one of the TV shows. Like, you just got to get one of the TV shows to pay attention to how cool the stuff is and the history is going on there. And then once the TV show comes, then it puts it out there for people to realize, oh, we could go here, and then they can have sustained visitation. So with the Oliver Estate, we had events there for years, and they did okay, but it wasn't until it was on first Paranormal Lockdown and then Kindred Spirits where all of a sudden now, it became a, a destination point for people. And so now they can fill up every weekend if they want with people looking to go in there and ghost hunt and paying money that goes to the restoration of that. that they, the town of Middleborough was ready to, to demolish that building because it was in such disrepair and they didn't have the funds to, replace, to repair it. But Christy said, let's get some of these ghost hunts going and they'll, they'll pay for everything. And she really believed that that could happen. And now the building is beautiful. They've redone the roof. They've redone the exterior. They've put in working plumbing so you don't have to go to the bathroom out in the driveway anymore in a porta potty They've really turned it into a showpiece for the town, and the town has all kinds of events that go on there in addition to these ghost hunt events. So it's, And they're following that same formula with the Emory Estate, so the same thing can happen, except the Emory Estate is probably twice or three times the size of the Oliver House. So they're going to be able to do a lot more there. Plus, it's got all those grounds, so they can really... I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when it's built up enough that they have a paranormal convention there. But again, these are all things that will come about because people are going to go there looking for ghosts and making a donation to help with the restoration process. 508-996. And by the way, I have an article. If you type in Emery, E-M-E-R-Y... Emory Estate, WBSM, into Google, you'll find the article that I wrote uh, from my last visit there. And you can kind of see some photos of it and, and read about a little bit of the history of it. Uh, I don't know that I'll write a follow-up article from what happened Saturday just because, you know, it's personal experiences more than it is any data that I could show you. But uh, you can read that and get a, an idea of what, what the place is all about. All right, I'm going to take my next break here. 508-996-0500. We'll be right back. is the cars and you know maybe seeing that music video as a young kid maybe Rick Ocasek is where I learned my dance moves from because I kind of just stand there and shift my shoulders around a little bit very much like Rick and by the way it is it's Ocasek not Ocasek as people incorrectly say it anyway speaking of things that are touch and go one thing that can be touch and go is when your car breaks down 
and you don't know who to call. Well, South Coast Towing is who to call when you break down or when you've been in an accident on the South Coast because at South Coast Towing, they offer a wide range of services to meet all of your towing needs. From local and long-distance towing to accident recovery and heavy-duty hauling, they have the expertise and equipment to handle it all. They provide fast and courteous towing services in Massachusetts. They're fully insured, and they've been in business since 1999. They are ready to respond to all your vehicle emergency needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, that's more than 30 years' experience. What does that mean? That means short arrival time, 45 minutes or less. That means honest, competitive prices with zero hidden fees, friendly and professional service, and again, available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you need a tow, call South Coast Towing, 508-995-9777. That's pretty easy to remember, but put it in your phone anyway, just in case. 508-995-9777, or visit them online at southcoasttowing.com. All right, well, we are going to be taking our final break in just a moment of the hour. Uh, But before we do that, we'll talk more about this situation with Carol and Paul. Oh, Carol. (laughs) sorry, Catherine and Paul, and the situation with the ballot question that they're trying to get regarding term limits for the city councilors. By the way, tomorrow we will be joined by Jack Splane, not today. He has a prior commitment today, so he will join us tomorrow in the 8 o'clock hour, and we will certainly talk more about this with him as well. But we did get an email, uh, app chat message, rather, from Steve in Fairhaven, who says, Hi, Tim. It does not surprise me that all of a sudden, when Catherine is getting close to meeting the signature's requirement, it is shut down. Seems that's what government does. It's about them, not the people. What a shame. And I think that that's the way that this is going to be portrayed. This is going to be portrayed as this is the city trying to shut down Catherine's efforts, Catherine and Paul's efforts, to get this ballot question on there. And that's probably not accurate. But that's the way that it's going to be seen. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think Mayor Mitchell would be opposed to term limits for the city councilors. I can't seem to recall off the top of my head if he's commented on it yet. But the idea that this is being somehow quashed because it's clearly going to be a successful effort, I don't, I don't know if I can go out that far yet until I've heard more from the people involved, but it certainly sounds like a ball was dropped somewhere. It certainly sounds like they could have gotten this information to Catherine and Paul earlier before they sat out in the heat and humidity for over a month now. I mean, I saw them at 50s night. I saw them sit down at the table and collect signatures. They were right across from us. And I know what it's like to sit outside of a supermarket and try to get people's attention for whatever cause you're there for. And they did that, and they were being successful with it, and now it looks like it's going to be all for naught. So we can talk more about that coming up in the next hour, as well as we're going to talk some sharks, too, this morning. But right now, we got to take one more break. Back in a few. All right, that is going to do it for this hour. Stay tuned. Coming up in the next hour, more of your phone calls at 508 996 